Are you running your bookkeeping firm or cash practice on spreadsheets and email? What if you could give your clients one place to answer questions about uncategorized transactions, send in their bank statements, track KPIs, and read reports you customize just for them? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Keeper, later in the episode. I was on a panel last week with the Center for Accounting Transformation, and they did a poll, you know, a CPE poll, and they asked people, as you head in to the busy season, like, tell us about your stress levels. What do you anticipate? 27% said severe stress and 58% said moderate. So a total of 85% are going in with moderate to severe anticipatory stress. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary, and we're like physically touching. In person, uh, in your house, David. In my house. In Tucson. Yep. You drove down last night. I did. We had a nice yeah. dinner. We uh, had a beer, showed you a little bit of Tucson. This morning, I drove you out to a 715 Orange Theory fitness class. Yeah, yeah. I've been hearing about this for years, and finally, I got to experience the uh, wonder that is Orange Theory fitness. And then you came down for a reason. Uh, yes, I did. So uh, we are getting interviewed uh, this afternoon. We've got two professors coming from, I think it's Utah Valley University, to interview us about a new course that they are writing or coming up with the curriculum for uh, to modernize their accounting program. And they asked for us- For both their undergrad and master's program, I yeah. think. Yeah. And they asked to speak with us about it. So uh, finally, we're going to have an impact. And we also have a guest today joining us, um, Amber Setter. She's the Chief Enlightenment Officer for Conscious Public Accountants. And I'll let her explain what that is in a moment. But the reason she's here, Blake, is a few weeks ago, there was an article I saw in um, Accounting Today, and the title of the article was The Pipeline Includes the Present. And I talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago, but it was really about being conscious of who's coming in the bottom of the pipeline. Right? She calls out that like, you can't even pay a state board you know, with Venmo. You have to use paper checks. Well, millennials don't really... Gen, gen, I guess Gen Zers, they don't have paper checks. And examples like she's like, don't share your war stories. Like don't tell somebody newly come in the profession how you used to work 80 hours a week and you never got to, to take a day off on a Saturday and Sunday. So it's a lot of tips like that. So Amber, I'll let you kind of explain a little bit more of what you do. And then we can talk about the article and we can talk because I think it all ties to the things we've been building up to. Even me getting fired from an firm is this lack of talent in the industry. Yeah. Why this is there. Welcome to the show, Amber Setter. Hey, so good to be here and so wild to be interviewed by two people sitting side by side. (laughs) (laughs) It's a first for me. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your your background. You know, we'd love to hear uh, how you got to where you're at. Chief Enlightenment Officer. I started my career as an accountant. I graduated December 2002. It was a delightful time to uh, be looking for a job in the Silicon Valley in accounting because the tech bubble had just burst and Enron had just happened. Like I interviewed at Anderson, I thought I nailed it and I was shocked I didn't get an internship offer. But anyway, um, I have about 20 years of experience in the profession now. I uh, opted to not go the big four route, worked for a local California firm for 10 years, which was an amazing experience. Did tax there, campus recruiting, learning and development eventually routed my way to coach training, professional coach training, because I knew I was helping everyone in the firm, but I really wanted to work with people in a deeply profound way. And one-to-one coaching provides that. I've been coaching for about 10 years on my own. I was an internal coach at PwC, coaching high potentials there. And more recently just expanded from a me to a we, and I have a team of coaches and we're all about helping accountants, not just CPAs, but accountants in general, really grow their career without losing their soul. Um, Because as you know, it's a demanding profession and you have to really be strong inside of your own self and know who you are and what you want out of life in order to build that. And that's what we do with people. At what point in my career would I start working with you? Do I start like when I'm right out of college, when I'm like mid-career, when I'm a partner, who is your ideal uh, customer? Yeah, it is at all different junctures of one one's career. And so you might think of it of like, when are we going through a challenging time or a new time? 
So as an example, we have a program for helping people to pass the CPA exam. We're not talking about anything technical. We're talking to them about why do you want to do this? What's in it for you? What's in the way of you studying when you say you want to and not doing it? So you're giving um, all that emotional and mental support you need on this journey, not just here's an exam yes. prep course. Yes, exactly. So whether we're coaching a staff accountant, a manager, a partner, you know, someone with 25 years of experience, really what we're doing is helping them in the domain of relationship and not the technical task. Because I can tell you from, you know, earning a degree in accounting and studying for the CPA exam, no one ever taught me like how to lead other people and how to be effective and how to do relationship. And so really that's the majority of the conversations we end up in is how do people connect with themselves and connect with others, whether it's their client or it's their colleague. As our listeners know, this show is a wide ranging discussion of anything and everything at the intersection of accounting and technology. So we look forward to uh, getting your take, your input on uh, everything we have to discuss today. All right. So before we jump into you know the news and all the articles, oh, and by, by the way, yeah. for everyone, I just oh. want to let you all know. Somebody came through. The door. I think with the professors are here, so they, the door is being answered right now by uh, Norma, yes, who is one of the hosts of the Accounting Twins, Twins podcast, podcast, who's David's intern. Yeah. So they're going to go talk to her, and then uh, after that, we're going to talk to them. So the live streams so. can have a small disruption, but we'll cut this out of the reel. We might, we might not. We'll see what happens. Right. So I think they'll see. be alright to handle it. Sorry, David. I, I, I actually, to be honest, I don't know how many people even came. There might be. Eight professors that showed up here. Let me make sure. I'll continue while David goes. So I saw this story this week. This really caught my attention because I'm a big fan of remote work. Average time saved by remote workers, 72 minutes per day. This was in Accounting Today. And it comes from a recent study uh, highlighted by the National Bureau of Economic Research. It surveyed workers all over the world and found that in the U.S., workers save about 55 minutes per day on average working remotely. And I was thinking to myself, it's kind of crazy that we have firms that are not permitting remote work or that want to pull employees back into the office when they save that much time. And I'm thinking that's, that's like how long it took us to do the workout this morning when we did your Orange Theory, David. Yeah. Like this could be, like remote work is the solution to accountants not being able to, you know, get their family time, their, their uh, workout time, you know, whatever time you need outside of work. Well, in general, it says a lot of people, 40% of the people are just using that time to do more work. Right. So that could actually solve firms' capacity problems. Let them work remotely, and now they can handle this extra 20% more of clients that nobody knows what to do with and people keep firing. Yeah. Right. I mean, we can't emphasize that enough. People actually use that extra time they're not commuting to work, work more, more, and yet firms have a problem with that. I think like that's a huge disconnect for me. I don't know. What Once do you they th find out, right? They're kind of <laughs> what, what do you think, Amber? So fun fact, I've actually been working from home since 2005. I can tell you unequivocally, I would never go back into an office five days a week. And I can also tell you that nothing replaces the experience of being together with a colleague. Like you two going to dinner last night, connecting and chatting, you know, working out together. It, yeah, it was 50 minutes at Orange Theory, but I always, I used to actually teach a class about this, which was my, managing your time as if it was your money. So just how we know we can invest a dollar and we can grow it, or we can invest a dollar and like lose it. And it's a, it's a low yield. The same is true with our energy. And I would offer that that time you guys are spending together is really gonna enhance your relationship, have you more connected, more synergy. When the going gets tough, you're more likely to be connected and support one another. So I don't see this as an either or. I think it's great that firms really should embrace having remote work and allowing for that because frankly, sometimes you need a really specialized practitioner that doesn't live in your market. And that's like a really key way to get great talent. But I don't think that it's going to work if you're just going to say, oh, we hired so-and-so that's like, you know, seven states away. And then you want people to delegate work to a stranger that they've never met and they don't feel comfortable with. And so I think the real opportunity is like bring everybody together, you know, once at least once a year, maybe once a quarter. I don't know what that might look like, but how do you how do you do both and save time the majority of the time, but also make time for in-person connection when you can? 
However, how does this affect so they, this this incoming wave of recent accounting grads? Obviously, like everybody wants to work remote. Like, oh yeah, I want to work remote. But how does it affect their career? Like, do they kind of need to be have a closer relationship, be mentored more? Like, from a coaching, or maybe maybe what would you coach a partner? Like, what do you do with incoming people? Because I can't imagine the experience if you if you started a firm on day one, you're just remote, and you're only seeing people every so many weeks. I completely agree. And so I actually just spoke at a at a tax kickoff with the firm earlier this week. And I shared a couple things with them. One is just like you said, maybe two years ago, coached a group of CPA exam candidates in a firm. And in getting to know them, I was like, wow, their experience of starting in the firm was, here's your laptop sent to your house, sit in your house and get your 10 billable hours in a day during busy season. And I thought, man, when I was 25, like, no, thank you. That would be horrible. Like it's hard enough to adjust to becoming a full-time employee and adulting and all that stuff. And then the other sort of thing that flew out of my mouth uh, on Monday, which I never know what's going to come, but I was like, oh, that was a pretty interesting analogy is, you know, my daughter was, um, which we were in this predicament during COVID where if, if I went with the mainstream, she was going to do kindergarten online via Zoom. And I was like, oh, no, thank you. Like, I I just, I as a parent am not going to be really good at homeschooling. It's not going to fit my life. So what am I going to do? And I ultimately ended up putting her in a private school. And then first grade came, it was back to normal. And she went into a public school. That was a really bad experience for her. And I don't think it was because the school's bad. I just think it was the time of transition. And I remember one day she said, mommy, this school, they treat children like animals. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she goes, sit down, be quiet, sit still. And I thought, that's the teacher. And what's going on with the teacher? The teacher's got, and this is the same for staff accountants or first graders. You've got 24 people that the year before had zero socialization with other little humans going through that same life transition of going into a new setting. And academically, we're all over the place. You know, some parents were really invested, some weren't. And I think that's the same for staff accountants. They're not being socialized in the way they were before. Maybe that's good, right? Maybe they're like, "Eh, I ain't doing mandatory Saturday. Like, that's a bygone era. And maybe there's good things, but maybe there's ways in which they're missing, like, the experience that I had, which was hearing partners talk to clients and just learning through osmosis or being exhausted with your colleagues at 10 o'clock at night and saying silly things and having running jokes and having that be the glue that holds us together. So I think it's uh, it's a really challenging time. And, you know, in my work, I end up talking to firms about people working in firms about all kinds of stuff. And and I remember distinctly like someone saying, you know, our just our, their staff, they're not doing as well. And I'm like, well, what'd you do for training? They're like basically took their training curriculum and instead of doing it together in person they just put zoom and i'm like you didn't change it like you can't just take a curriculum and change the modality and expect the same result it it just doesn't work that way so i think we're going to really be not only do we not have enough bodies but those who are in the roles aren't as qualified as they were before because they haven't been educated in the traditional way and brought up to speed and nurtured as they once were yeah i i think the the thing that stuck out for me that you said was the, the osmosis, learning by osmosis, hearing the partner talk to the client. You can't really get that remotely. And there's a lot of knowledge transmission that happens just from sitting in meetings. So how do you as a partner uh, give that to your staff when you're working remotely? Does it mean having them shadow you on your Zooms? Uh, you know, that could, that could work, right? Well, it goes back so, to what we said midway through... Um... COVID, where it's with remote people, if you, if you got hired remotely, you interviewed remotely, you took the job remotely, you worked remotely, did you ever actually work there? Like, are you have any emotional ties or connections to that company? Yeah. And that, then vice versa, do they have any emotional ties or loyalty to you? Yeah. Right? Well, and that's part of the reason, right? I, I, I really strongly believe that even though that's one of the, the there are many benefits to remote work, the, the huge disadvantage for the firm is loyalty. Loyalty is much mm-hmm. less. And we saw that with uh, whistleblower Whistleblower reports increased dramatically during the pandemic, 
probably, my theory is due to remote work, people feeling less loyalty to their employer, right? So like that's a sign of it. I wonder if it's continued. That would be really interesting. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Keeper. By combining client communications, file review, reporting, and your task management, Keeper has everything you need to run your bookkeeping or cast practice. Keeper is an all-in-one app that allows you, your team, and your clients to easily collaborate to make your monthly close as efficient as possible. Starting with a beautiful custom-branded client portal optimized for bookkeeping work, your client can answer questions you have about uncategorized transactions, allowing you to categorize and automatically post them to QuickBooks Online correctly, all without ever leaving Keeper. Via the month-end file review feature to surface transactions that may not be posted correctly, and by providing the perfect customized report that each client may need, Keeper can highlight the value that your firm provides clients. Keeper's built-in task management ensures nothing falls through the cracks, and it includes time tracking so you can see where you and your team spends their time. With Keeper's 1099 manager, you can easily review each client's list of vendors, email address, physical address, tax ID, and the amount paid, and from the same screen, even request W9s for any vendors that you're missing information for. No more jumping between screens or browser tabs. Keeper has a very affordable and clear pricing model that starts at only $8 a month. Learn more about why thousands of bookkeepers and accountants trust Keeper to manage their month-end close and to get 20% off your first three months by using code CAP20. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Keeper. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash K-E-E-P-E-R. Keeper, the one app to run your bookkeeping business. Uh, we've got some, we've got a comment in the live YouTube chat. live chat. So a reminder to our listeners that we stream live on YouTube, follow our YouTube channel, and you will get notified when we go live. Sam said, I just got approved to work from home two days a week and three days in February. Uh, I have an hour commute and argued that I could work more during busy season if I didn't spend two hours a day driving. Absolutely, that's, that's, right? <laughs> that's the argument to make to partners. Six more billable hours a week. Yeah, that's the argument you make to partners who are thinking that traditional billable hour mindset, right? I can work more billable hours for you. Uh, hopefully, though, they don't up your billable hours then, right? From 55 to 60 or <laughs> something well, like that. Where, what I would say to Sam, and this is the, the beauty of coaching and what we help people, that person that wrote in the chat is like, you know what, this doesn't work for me and it doesn't work for my life. But what, what I would like instead is X. And you would be shocked at how many people do not have the gumption to go to their employer and say, this policy, this blanket policy actually doesn't work. And the business case for why I want something different, not just because I don't feel like coming in, but like the real business case as to why it would benefit me and my contribution and therefore the firm, I want why instead. Mm-hmm. And that's really like the power of what we do in coaching is helping people understand what they want and asking for it and holding them accountable for the change that they desire. Because when you don't communicate it, you just end up resentful and then you leave and nobody wins. Now, the thing that uh, is a little worrisome for me, is this stat I saw in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, It's in a story called, The Job Market for Remote Workers is Shrinking. And this is to be expected. During the pandemic, so many of us went remote, it's going to be a pullback. That's expected, right? I I don't think anybody would assume it's going to last the way it was. So uh, the stat is this, that in March, 20.6% of job postings on LinkedIn were remote, fully remote. That's down to 13.2%. So we went from 21% to 13% from March to December. The thing that's interesting is that demand for remote jobs is still very high. A majority of all applications submitted on LinkedIn are for remote jobs. So to me, that says if you're a firm and you can figure out how to do all this remote stuff and to train your staff remotely and be productive remotely, you're going to have your pick of qualified candidates. Because I imagine before, you, the, the reason this number fell is a lot of jobs that a lot, like you could argue white collar jobs that allowed remote work, those have all tightened up. I mean, there's tech cuts everywhere, right? Those jobs are not, they don't exist anymore. So who's, who's left? If you can't get a job working remotely in those, you're right. If you're a firm, you offer remote, if you can figure out how to do it, you should have a, a way to get more yeah. people in the profession. 
Um, this ties back to an article, uh, and I love the headline because uh, this is uh, from Going Concern. It says, KPMG vice chair hopes the tech layoffs will scare college kids into accounting. And I loosely talked about this before, like all these layoffs, like, hey, maybe try to hire tech people yeah, yeah. If, if they're looking for work. But the argument is, you know, and then, yes, lots, and you've said this over and over again, you yourself left accounting to go work in a tech company. sexy tech companies, yeah, right? Yeah. You, you've done this yourself. And now that those jobs maybe aren't as sexy, they're, they're betting on accounting, and I'll quote in, in the interview, accounting is that boring, stable profession that doesn't do as well in the hugely expansive economies, but does great when the economy is on a downslide. So it's like the bet here, like the way we're going to solve the talent shortage in accounting is to have a depression and then people will be so desperate for work they'll be like fine well, i'll be an accountant well, and, and that's what you hear uh i've said this before i was at a nasba event and one of the speakers said the recession could solve our talent crisis and every time somebody says that i gotta call bullshit on it because you look at the numbers the tech layoffs are just a tiny fraction of their workforce nobody is laying off like more than i think 10 percent yeah. And all of these tech companies overhired during the pandemic because they were all flush with cash because money was cheap. And so they might as well, right? So all they're doing now is just being smart. Like if you have the opportunity to cut five to 10% of your workforce and you know that you're already overstaffed, you should do it. And that's why they're all following suit, right? Accounting firms have been cutting five five to 10% of the workforce for decades. 20 to 30%. Not consciously, just based because their behaviors. So that's the thing is all these headline numbers of Google cutting tens of thousands yeah. of workers or whatever, it's, it's tiny compared to their overall workforce, and it's not making a dent in their number. It's just bringing them back to where they were a few years ago. So it's, it's actually good because now Main Street companies, non-tech companies have an opportunity finally to hire some of these people. So if you're an accounting firm and you've got room for tech people on your team, like you should be recruiting like heavily. Like go after those engineers. Now, they might not be the cream of the crop, but probably in your accounting firm, they can handle it, I imagine. They yeah, can a, 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 a Google C engineer is probably going to be an A engineer at, at any accounting at firm. At any firm, yeah. right? Given, what, given where we are, we're a little bit, you know, yeah. admittedly, most firms are far behind, right? I mean, still making the transition to cloud. So, Amber, do you even think, like, is this, as you coach younger people and you coach firm owners, is this even realistic? Like, oh, there could be a shift of people. Like, well, do you think it's possible for people to really shift their careers from, oh, I'm, I'm some tech engineer, I'm, and now I'm going to go into accounting? Like, is it even, or is this just a dream? Not with the 150-hour rule. I mean, let's, let's call a spade a spade. It used to be that we had these ways in which we could take somebody who did something before and then come into the profession and learn what they needed to learn in order to get up to speed and get certified. And I can't speak for all the jurisdictions because they're just, it's just way too much, right? But I, in my day, I get to say that now, like in my day, you know, we only needed four years of college and there was a master's of accountancy program where I went, did my undergrad that was specifically for someone who had been an engineer who came in and got their hours and they got certified. And I just, I think because we have that 150 hour rule, all those kinds of programs are diluted now. I mean, master's in taxation used to be an awesome add on for someone who worked in tax. Now MST programs are diluted by, with people with no work experience that need to get 150 hours. So, I mean, it's possible. I guess the last sort of to contradict myself is something I'm hearing a lot of in firms is they're like, well, we used to require people to be a CPA to get promoted. And now we can't do that because if we don't promote these people, we know they're going to leave and they're going to go because they've been loyal and we really need them. So now we need to bend our own rules. And the big four has done this for years, right? Like you could be, if you're in tax, you could be an enrolled agent and get promoted to manager and onward. But the smaller firms, they don't have that or medium firms. And now they're just saying, okay, well, maybe we're going to promote people without the CPA. Well, I don't know. Maybe you can come in and be an engineer because they've dug themselves in a hole or we as a whole have dug ourselves in where you can't now because of the shortage require people to get the CPA to get promoted. And that's just what I'm hearing is going on in firms. They've had to go away with that rule. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. 
it was motivating. You couldn't make it to manager without being a CPA, but now if we take that away, why are people gonna go get their CPA? I mean. And I should say it's not like blanket wide. Like I think if you are actually doing a test work, well, you should keep that that rigor there. Yeah. And so I, I do see it there. Like, I don't know if you guys saw in the news this past summer, KPMG did something which they called the audit kickstart program. So for entry level folks, they could either like do the same old um, incentive that's been around for decades for passing the CPA exam, which is like a, the sooner you, the, you pass, the greater the bonus. They said, you could do that old way, or you could do this new thing called the kickstart program where you come in and you sit in a training room with people and you do your CPA review course together. And when you do that, like we'll give you medical benefits and we'll give you a little financial incentive. But they only did that for audit. Why do you think only for audit? Because that's the only place that you really need the designation anymore. So it, it's interesting of like how this is all going to shake out long term for the CPA designation aside from auditors. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. Think about this. If you have approximately 60 clients and create five reports a month for each of them, that's over 3,500 reports a year. And let's say you're really fast and it only takes you one minute per report. That's almost 2.5 days a year you spend creating reports. Here are a few of the ways LiveFlow saves time for so many accountants and bookkeepers. Once you create the perfect suite of reports for a client, you can just copy the Google Sheet, use LiveFlow to connect it to a different client's QuickBooks Online company, and you're all done. The new reports will pull in the data for the second client automatically. You can easily drill down on the details of each number on a live flow report, including drilling down to the transaction level to navigate directly to the transaction inside of QuickBooks Online. No more opening QuickBooks Online to search for specific transactions. Live flow and Google Sheets are in the cloud, so you don't have to waste time emailing files between your team and your clients. And you can give your clients access to a suite of reports that they can access anytime, eliminating one-off requests for you and your staff. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 20% off your first three months, Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash liveflow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. Stop manually updating your spreadsheets with Liveflow. So David, where do we go from here? Uh, I have apps, tech, chat GPT, AI, a little bit of fraud. Is there anything burning for you? We could talk about George Santos. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Talk, let's talk about that. Like, does it tie? Is there an accounting story there? Or like, well, I mean, I, he could he could have said he worked for big four companies too, and like, his list just goes on and on. So. It's too bad that he he didn't say that because that would have been an easier tie-in. Um, I've been following this since the New York Times broke this story, like right when he got elected. Uh, about, maybe you should rewind who this guy is. Oh, George Santos. I, I feel like if you haven't heard of him, I mean, maybe you don't follow politics at all. But he's the Republican congressman from I think it's like parts of. Queens and Long Island, okay. somewhere you know, out in the boroughs in New York, and and somehow he got elected, and and nobody. So U.S. Congress, this is not a local. Yeah, thing. He, he, U.S. Congress. He's in and he's 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 in the House, and uh, he is a total scam artist. And and the, the the tie-in to our show is that his last, as far as I can tell, his last W two job was as the salesman for an alleged Ponzi scheme in Florida. That's something like a seventeen million dollar Ponzi scheme. And there's a follow-up story in the New York Times, and the headline is, How an Investor Lost $625,000 and His Faith in George Santos. Uh, and it profiles a client, a wealthy investor named Andrew Introtter, who was lured by annual returns of 17, 16% and had invested six hundred twenty-five k in a fund offered by the company Harbor City Capital, where George Santos was a VP. And I just, I can't believe that we have the salesman for a alleged Ponzi scheme in Congress. But it wouldn't be... <laughs> it depends on your view of Congress. I mean, you know... Maybe, maybe, it's all, the, yeah. It's it's just, it's amazing. Um, so, yeah, and, and the, I, I would highly recommend anyone who's interested in this go find this story on uh, on the Times. But, like, yeah, it's, it's... I hope that the guys on Oh My Fraud, the... The best fraudcast, the best fraud podcast in our profession. Go and dig into this once once more shakes out, because uh, it's just fascinating. Santos claimed to have raised a hundred million for Harbor City, 
And SEC documents say the firm only raised $17 million. And Santos also was telling people that he and his family invested millions of dollars. Uh, but financial disclosures filed during his 2020 run for Congress show that he earned just $55,000 that year and had no assets. So speaking of, of going off of crypto and uh, Ponzi schemes, I guess, if you want to keep going. Um, did you see Moody's is working to create a scoring system? for stable coins, I your favorite thing. Yeah, I saw this headline. And essentially, they want to use your favorite thing, which are, they want to evaluate based off the attestation reports that firms are making. Oh, is that how they're going to do it? Yes. Oh, great. So, so we've talked about these attestation reports when it comes to blockchain crypto for a few episodes now. Yeah. And they're, they're basically agreed upon procedures engagements which makes them kind of useless. They don't. They actually say, and if you read them, they say that they do not provide any assurance. Yes. So how could you create a scoring system? So based that's on what them, Moody's is saying. So they're not going to deliver an official credit rating the way they do for publicly <laughs> traded crypto companies. So basically, they're inventing a scoring system because there's prime money in it for them. Yes. Because then the crypto companies are. But well, look, Moody's gave people will not know. It's the same way crypto exploited accounting firms. Now they're going to exploit Moody's. Moody's is going to create some scoring system. That has it's not their official scoring system. They're going to get a point or whatever they get, and they're and then the crypto companies will be like, look, Moody's gave a score of blah blah blah, even though it's not the real score from Moody's. Right. The, the foundation is sand, and yeah. the scoring system built on it is sand. Well, since you brought up blockchain, I get to bring up this story. Okay. Wash sales heavily inflating unregulated crypto exchange transaction volume. Uh, so it turns out that seventy five percent of trades on unregulated crypto exchanges, according to a study by the National Bureau of Economic Research, 77% of trades are essentially wash sales, which means you sell, you buy, you sell, you buy, you sell, you buy, you create fake volume, volume. Yep. to create the appearance that there's this uh, big market for crypto. But in reality, which is what you and I have known for at least a year now, David, uh, most of it's crap. Yeah. It's, it's people, big players creating this this, this uh, illusion of activity. So Amber, where are you on the, the crypto thing before? <laughs> like, are, you, are, you, are, are you a crypto you a... whale? Did we accidentally just- uh, No, yeah. I'm just like, oh my God, wash sale. I learned this at some time, wow, wow. But um, yeah, when you just said like big players creating an illusion, I was like, wait, are we talking about uh, employment opportunities in our profession? I don't know a lot about crypto, to be honest. This is not really in my realm. I did learn the most I think I can absorb in by watching John Oliver tonight talk about crypto, which was Oh, I got uh, to check wonderful. that out. He's, he's good. Yeah. He's good. Second favorite to my uh, favorite that he does about the IRS. I don't know if you saw that one. It's about seven years old, but it's phenomenal. He refers to the IRS is like the anus of the body. You know, we, we still need it. Um, it has a really important function. And... If it's not working, we're in trouble. And that's that might be the, my favorite thing anyone has ever said on our show, Amber. <laughs> that, that's amazing. It's a quote from John Oliver. I can't take the credit. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, well, we should tax, talk about tax season, right? Well, before you jump into that, we can transition in. So the IRS released guidance on the whole crypto checkmark, right? I have crypto. I've used crypto. I've sold crypto. You know, that's on everybody's oh, return. that's on the top of the, the 1040? Top of, yeah, or, top yeah. of the 1040. It's still on the 1040. So I they think. changed the guidance for this for 2022 now. Apparently, only check the box. And hopefully, so our other, the, the podcast we talked about last week, the new podcast, Federal Tax Updates, they're going to be the tax experts that will deep dive on things like this more. But the way it looks, if you've moved any digital assets or crypto, you have to check the box. But if you're like me who... I had transactions in 2021 and it's just been sitting there. My wallet's worthless for 2022. I don't have to check the box this year. So if you hold, you don't have to check the box. If you have no active no activity, activity okay. you don't check the box this year. Obviously, don't no, tell me nice. the expert in the interpretation is, but that's what it looks like they've changed. Well, that might be one tiny contribution to this stat in CPA trend lines. CPA Trendlines has a barometer where they ask tax professionals, do you think this year is going to be better or worse? And 53%, a majority of respondents, think that this year is going to be somewhat better than last year. So mildly optimistic. But it's been really bad for two years, <laughs> really bad. So, But he said, how, what's the percentage? 
53% say somewhat better, and 14% say much better. So add those together, we're at 67%, right? Two-thirds say it's going to be better, uh, and the rest say about the same or worse. So Amber, what's your, what's the... Uh, what's the, the mood? The, the mood, yeah. What's the vibe? What's the emotional piece of this that you're seeing when people talk yeah. about tax season? So I'll share that yesterday I got a text from a client that was like, hey, can I just get 15 minutes? And I always offer that to people, right? Because I talk to them, we have like a standing call, but if they need some spot coaching to reach out. And this tax practitioner reached out. And as I heard them, you know, sharing some stuff, I, I shared with them something that I've observed for years. Is it about this time of year, everyone assumes that I need to get stressed out and now's the time where I really should start stressing because it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, and life's not going to be great and all the things. And so I do think there's a way in which the emotional climate people might be feeling in that way. Um, I was on a panel last week with the Center for Accounting Transformation, and they did a poll, you know, a CPE poll, and they asked people, as you head in to the busy season, like, tell us about your stress levels. What do you anticipate? 27% said severe stress and 58% said moderate. So a total of 85% are going in with moderate to severe anticipatory stress. Some of that I think is what people create in a very unhealthy way. Like if I really pay attention, like it's that thing that I do, that self-talk that gets me into overdrive, but it's really not healthy and it's not sustainable. So I really encourage people to, you know, really reframe what your experience is going to be, because if you go into it saying it's going to be worse, it's going to be stressful, then your mind is unconsciously going to be looking for all the things that are stressful and all the things that are going wrong instead of like, hey, this is going to be a better season or this season I'm really going to focus on this or whatever it might be. Who sets that tone? Are people setting it themselves mentally or is this coming kind of from the, a vibe that comes from the higher ups in a firm? I think it, it can be both. Sometimes it's the vibe from higher ups and the correspondence like, okay, we're coming in, like your hours got to be up. You got to be back in the office, like whatever. The communication going out in the firm could absolutely create some of that. Sometimes it's the individual. Um, a lot of the work that I like to do is in adult development, which is how somebody grows psychologically. So at the lowest level of adult development, you don't realize that you're just reacting to the external environment. So if the firm says it's going to be this way, you're like, oh, okay, I, 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 I go into that. Um, or I'm reacting to the, the deadlines. But when you mature psychologically, and there's no correlation to age or IQ, but when you mature psychologically, it's like, I'm going to create my experience the next several months. I, I realize I have patterns of thinking and I can see like, oh, my mind wants to tell me I should stress out right now. That's an interesting thought. Where does that come from? Is, does that have to be true or do I want to choose a different thought? This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. For many of you, getting paid by your client is a multi-step and multi-app workflow that looks something like this. Send a client a proposal or engagement letter via a quote-unquote signature tool, Wait for the client to accept it, add the client to the accounting system, generate an invoice, send that to the client, wait for the client to pay you, or maybe you're advanced and you set up separate PDF to collect their ACH or credit card info to set up automatic payments. But again, you wait for them to provide those details. You get the point. It's a messy manual process, and I didn't even mention the spreadsheet you'll need to create to track all these steps. Introducing Anchor. Anchor automates your entire billing process for you end to end. With Anchor, you create one proposal that defines your scope of work, includes terms of service, allows your client to review and accept this agreement, even collects the client's payment info instantly to establish automated monthly payments. For the client, they experience all of this in just one screen. It's really that simple and clean. With Anchor's dashboard, you always have visibility in the entire process from pending and approved agreements. It will even surface items that may need additional attention, like when a client needs to update their credit card expiration date. And if the scope of work of the client ever changes, be it monthly services or a one-time additional charge, you can easily and clearly modify the agreement, keeping you and the client on the same page. And the best part, there is no subscription fee at all. Anchor only costs $5 per payment received. No matter how much you charge a client, it is still only $5 per payment. 
To learn more about using Anchor at your firm, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash anchor. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash A-N-C-H-O-R. So David, I think this is the perfect time to transition into app news. The IRS has opened an online portal where businesses can file 1099 forms. So we've talked about how the dream is that you could interact with the IRS entirely through a portal, never have to call on the phone, never have to fax anything. I think that's what they should spend the money on, the $80 billion. Hopefully it wouldn't cost $80 billion to build, but if that's all they did with it, I think it would make things much better. Uh, So we've got a small step in that direction. The IRS calls this the IRIS portal and hopes that it will enable the agency to reduce the millions of pieces of paper it needs to deal with each year as it continues to work on catching up on its backlog from last year. And 1099s are a huge piece of that mess because a lot of people print out and mail in their 1099s to the IRS. And I think they got so many during the pandemic that they they actually got in trouble for just burning a bunch of them. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, they're shredding and getting rid of it. They didn't even process them because they were never going to do it. So they just shredded them, which actually... It's like declaring bankruptcy on your email inbox. You just, yeah, they... <laughs> you, just, you just delete your whole, all your emails. Yeah. So I, I haven't given this a try yet. I got to still do my 1099s. So maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll log into the yeah, system and, and try to do this. As well. Yeah. It's funny that they called that Iris because there's an accounting software company... In the UK. In the UK that's making a strong stride here in the US market now. And so Iris Software announced their earnings, and basically they have a 28% revenue growth. And a lot of it is because of their acquisitions they made and the efforts are doing in the States. So remember, they they acquired a payroll solution called MyPay Solutions in October. Remember, they bought Accountants World. So Accountants World is tons of suites of software. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. coaching, it's payroll apps. It's account. And then they bought Docket, which is similar to a document management, scanning receipts, scanning, you know, that type of thing. So they bought... All these things, but they're, this is what's helping their um, their growth. And now on the U.S. side, they now are in 52 of the top 100 firms, and they have about 6,800 small to, small to mid-sized firms. And so, I imagine most of that's from the Accountants World acquisition. Probably, yeah. That's my yeah, guess, yeah. because Accountants World has been pretty, fairly popular. It's been around for a long time, yeah. too, yeah. And But I imagine they have where somewhere probably being like, IRS, you can't call your accounting 1099 system IRS. I imagine that's, we're going to see that. I think the IRS can do whatever it wants in that (laughs) regard. (laughs) Um, Here's an update about QuickBooks. January brings banking enhancements to QuickBooks. This was on insightfulaccountant.com. This was a feature that was announced at QuickBooks Connect 2022. It is now here. We made a video about this. If you go on all our socials, you should be able to find this video. Well, I don't, I I don't know if this feature was in it. Oh, okay. um, so this is the ability for QBO subscribers to make use of the QuickBooks banking find match feature for foreign currency bank accounts. Oh, no, we didn't talk about that. So previously, users operating on a multi-currency basis, they couldn't match transactions in QuickBooks with their foreign currency bank account transactions. But now you can. So if you are a Canadian or a UK QuickBooks user where you've got a lot more multi-currency than you do here in the United States, you're going to be really happy about that. Another banking-related enhancement gives QuickBooks Online accountant users the ability to batch edit their clients' auto-add bank rules. So if you need to revise them, you can do so as a batch. Uh, You just select banking, and then you choose multiple rules and turn off auto-add for all of them. So this auto-add feature has been a bit controversial because if people turn it on, and they set up a bunch of rules, suddenly everything's getting coded automatically in, into the GL, but it might be wrong. So yeah, because I could see a small business owner is like, of course I'll auto-add it. And they set about 40 rules, all auto-add. Yeah. And now they have the kind of bookkeeper, I'm going in to clean up their stuff. I have to go one by one to make them not auto-add, but now I can just bulk select all and change it. Yep. And that's, these, are, these are the small things that make becomes bookkeepers smile. Uh, uh, you mentioned layoffs in tech so we got to mention the layoffs in accounting tech that have happened so there was an article on accounting web summarizing them david do you recall any of them off the top of your head Uh, i think i saw ignition did i think i saw giraffe did um obviously Emilio did you know a few months back basically everybody's cutting some because of ignition is the one that's highlighted here uh they let go of it doesn't say what percentage it is 20 employees and 
Carbon, Carbon also did a 23% cut in its team. That was probably the biggest one. Clio laid off 15% of, of employees. Plaid and Stripe have cut their employees. But again, as I said before, I wouldn't worry too much about this. This is just normal cyclical nature of tech, which... Well, I think in general, like, you know, when money was cheap, there was a lot of VC money going to these companies because no. money's cheap. And then as soon as you take VC money, you get that pressure to sell, sell, sell. You got to grow as fast as possible. So people hire a bunch of salespeople. And so a lot of these layoffs are in sales. But the one thing that's interesting to note here, and is this a trend or not, is a lot of people on like the content teams, the blog post writers, things like that. And sometimes I'm wondering now if, because I did talk to a, an, uh, an app, the founder of an app, and he turned me on to Jasper AI, which is, you know, if we've, everybody's hot on uh, ChatGPT, it's kind of a similar type thing. Yeah, yeah. We use Chat, and I, I told it. you yeah. about using Jasper AI. And he's like, it's, I can use that and I can get blog posts that are almost just as good as what I'm paying a content writer full time to do. And so you're starting to see, like, it, are some of these layoffs really because the positions are now getting eliminated? Mm -hmm. Like, if, if you were just writing content or managing, somebody overseas to write it and they're really using Jasper AI or ChatGPT to write a basic SEO blog post for your website. Like are those jobs actually, are we, are we seeing a real shift in some work going away? Content writing. I think definitely on the like low end, if you're just churning out blog content, marketing content, you're either going to have to learn how to use these tools to do more or you're out of a job. If, if all you're doing is churning out draft copy, well, if I'm a firm and I, I need to just have some SEO posts like how to create 1099s or why I need to, like, I'm sure these tools can create a good enough blog post for me just to slap up on my site. Yeah. I mean, you still need to edit them. So if you- But I don't a, need to hire somebody. No. Yeah. If you as a firm owner are willing to edit that, you can just ask Jasper to write you those blog posts you can edit. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm using it right now. I used it with a client. The other day we wrote uh, six emails in like 20 minutes. It's incredibly fast at doing that kind of boilerplate marketing stuff. And then you just tweak, you customize, you're done. So it's, it's, it's four or five X savings in time. Um, so for that, yeah. Did you say earlier on you did have a chat GPT story? I've got a bunch so, of them actually. So uh, Microsoft is investing something like $10 billion yeah. into OpenAI. That's huge for accountants because the vast majority of firms are on the Office 365 stack. And so oh, that's a good all, time. Very right, good. Very all good. the benefits of ChatGPT, if this partnership works out strategically, will be embedded into the Microsoft suite. So imagine Outlook drafting emails for you that you can then review and approve and send. Imagine having access to your whole communication history with your clients. Well, just Excel. Yeah, or <laughs> accessing the data that you've got in your Excel files. And so you can ask it a question and say, you know, or, or just even finding information, just, just find, like all that stuff's so disorganized and everybody wants to have a SharePoint. Everybody wants to have a notion that's organized, but has anyone ever actually had a wiki that was organized <laughs> no, in your firm? I can never find no. it. No, the client files are just everywhere. I mean, our file folder structure in our company, David, is a mess. And actually, that, that leads me to a story uh, featuring somebody really smart at a big four firm talking about the application of AI. Uh, uh, let's see if I can find this here. Yeah, this was um, an article on VentureBeat featuring Ernst & Young's CTO. The headline is, ChatGPT's killer enterprise use case will be managing knowledge. And he talks about how they've got so much knowledge across... EY globally with all these people, I mean, their SharePoint must be a giant mess, right? Now, ChatGPT, OpenAI tools, these generative AI tools can ingest all that information and then go find you what you need. So people must spend, it's, it's probably impossible to quantify the amount of time that people spend just looking for information inside of big organizations like that. And um, these tools could really help. Yeah. So finding the information. Yeah. Really exciting. Rocket tax has uh, launched tax, sorry, not Rocket Tax, Rocket Lawyer yes. has launched Rocket Tax, which is tax prep. But it looks like the headlines a lot, like from the headline I saw that article and I was like, oh, here goes another outsider getting the tax game. But it looks like they're just um, working with TaxFile, who basically TaxFile is a little bit of like an Uber system for oh. tax returns done. And so it looks like they're, it, it's a seamless integration. It looks like it's probably, I haven't looked at it or seen it, but it's not like they're they're an outsider coming in. They're just utilizing a player inside already. 
So they're just, it's, a, it's probably a biz dev deal of some type. One thing on the website that caught my attention is uh, the subhead. Costs less than your average CPA firm. The pricing starts for personal at $200, for self-employed at $400, and for business at just $500, which is C-Corps, S-Corps, partnerships, trust slash estates, and nonprofits. Uh, and they say that for all of these levels of service, a CPA or an enrolled agent will prepare your entire return from start to finish. We might have to try this out, David. Well, now, now we have to do, this is good because we have a couple entities. Yeah. And more than a couple. And we need to test the new TurboTax live for yeah. businesses. And we need to test this and, and you know, find out just how well, good it is. Well, the difference here, here and, and what this is, is because Rocket Lawyer is very similar to LegalZoom. That's the entire their major competitor. Yeah. LegalZoom, if you remember we talked about, they bought an accounting firm. They actually are doing bookkeeping and tax services, right? LegalZoom is. And this is probably the response. They're like, oh, no, we need to have something. So they just partnered with somebody in the industry. So I don't think it's any – like I said, the headline was very like, whoa. But I don't think it's mm-hmm. as much of an impact as we think. It's really just a optimized site to buy tax file is really what it Got us. I found like a, the most random article of the week. It's just really random. So this is from uh, Rita Keller, Solutions for CPA Firm Leaders. Oh, yeah. She was a guest on my Earmark podcast. Oh, she was? Okay, got So if you, if you don't know Rita Keller, she was one of the original firm administrators before that became a thing. You know, when, when CPA firms didn't have operations people, and, uh, and she grew a firm from like a dozen people to becoming a regional firm as the administrative partner. Yeah. And one of the, the few women in that role originally. OG. So, so it felt like a weird article. Then I, then I clicked through it because it was like the decline of voicemail. Like, this is an article somewhere? Wait, and the headline is the what? The decline of voicemail. And this is January 27, 2023. But what she's doing, it's a flashback post to a post she wrote in 2014. And the 2014 post talks about using voicemail less. And she goes on to say, so this is in 2014. She's like, hey... You know, I expect all of you to begin frequently new ways of communicating with clients, such as texting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, I know many experienced, mature CPAs who are now using text extensively. But it, so it's, it's, it's just kind of a funny, I, I, like the, the headline was like, are we kidding me? There's, there's articles being written about voicemail. Yeah. But it's really, if you step back and look at it again, yeah, 2014, she's like, hey, stop, stop using voicemails. Like, stop using voicemails. And, and, and I bet you there are people are still using voicemails. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I on my voice message now, it says, if you actually want me to respond to you, please send a text. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember the last time I got a real voicemail. Amber, do you, do you remember the last time you got a voicemail that wasn't a scam, art, scam artist or a salesperson? I still get them from like family and friends, but I, I have like 65 that I haven't even listened to if I'm honest. So yeah, I'm not a big voicemail, like sit there and listen. I just call somebody back. You know what the smartest thing is? It's, uh, and I never did this, cause I, but I should have. Um, it's, it's you let your voicemail box fill up completely <laughs> so that nobody can leave a message. And unfortunately, Verizon, I use Verizon, they don't have the ability just to turn it off. Some providers will let you completely turn off voicemail. When I was at Intuit, I had them turn off the voicemail because it was just too much work. Or, or it's a voice, you, you, you have to type in all these dials, you get in this, and, the, and somebody's saying, I sent you an email. I'm like, what? All that work for that? So I, yeah, I'm anti-voicemail for sure. So, so David, I have uh, some listener mail. You want to finish yeah, absolutely. out, Let's finish out the episode with listener mail? Okay. So this is, uh, uh, the subject line of this email is January 20th Cloud Accounting Podcast. Hi, Blake. Hope you and David are having a great new year and lots of success with your new media company. I find it interesting in the last podcast, you said tax professionals were getting rid of clients because they couldn't handle them all. This is not our situation. Remember, we became remote only and we are in our second tax season in Prescott, Arizona. After raising our prices 80% the previous year, our goal was to retain half our clients and make the same amount. We retained about 38% of our clientele but revenue was down 30%. We are not trying to scale and become a large company, but we are looking for new clients. We are currently doing Facebook ads, Google ads, Yelp ads, and a mailer to try and generate some new business in Arizona. We are looking to increase by about 150 to 200 more clients, and we would like to get more tax resolution clients and are marketing for that too. 
I've learned a lot about crypto and Bitcoin in the last year, so since my last voice message, I'll be sharing my thoughts soon. That's from Greg. And I just wanted to bring that to the show because I thought it was interesting. They raised prices 80%, and their goal was to retain half the clients and make the same amount of money. But instead, their revenue went down 30% because they lost a lot of clients. They only retained like less than half, 38%. Yeah. So I was curious, David, like just knowing that, do you think that 80% was aggressive? You know, I mean, that's almost 2x. Yeah. Like if, if you're, you're, you have to, and then I know the bowling frog thing is not true, but like you kind of have to ease this in. And, and you know, as the master at it, it's into it. Into it grows 15% every year because they just do these small price increases. The next thing you know, payroll used to be $99 a year. Next thing you know, payroll is $300 a year. Now it took yeah. a long time to get there, but they just, every year, a teeny little move of the dial. Yeah, they're the masters at it. And the problem was, Greg told me in, a, in another email that um, I don't have open. I guess they, they had not raised prices for years. No. So they just felt like, okay, we got to do it all yeah. at once. But probably if, if, if you're that far behind, you might want to spread it out over a few years, even if you are behind, like 20% a few years in a row. Like the, I, the good news is, is tons of clients are currently being fired because of the lack of bodies to do work at their firms. So there's tons of clients that are just run, roaming around like maybe if you're doing online advertising or outreach, like target them specifically. Let go by your accounting firm? Question mark. Right. Mm -hmm. um, well, and and that brings me to the second question here, uh, implicit question, which is, you know, how do you get new clients? Probably, I, I would probably not do really the the Facebook ads, and I would focus more on going out to other firms the larger firms that you know are trying to get rid of these smaller clients. And, and like, like you, David, yeah. <laughs> you got fired, got fired from your firm and, um, and partner with them. Basically say, look, I'll, I'll happily take on the clients that you can't serve. Uh, and that could be Twitter clients. Like, like, if, if you get a big firm yeah, yeah, relationship, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree because I've been helping practitioners through this a lot, like raising rates, you know, right sizing not just the rates with clients but like getting rid of the clients who are drags on their energy and get things in late or want to argue with them about their liability which is not in their control right but going and building relationships in the firms because in the firms there's oftentimes just a okay there's a minimum threshold period and that's because they tried to do that a couple years ago and people didn't do it. And so now they're like, no, this year we're really serious. Like we're, we're culling clients and I wouldn't do a Facebook ad either. I would build relationships with those firms that are culling clients and getting lots of them because in addition, then you get like practitioner input on, on those clients. They're just not Joe blow off the Facebook ad street. Yeah, that can be rough, right? It, it can often be very difficult to serve them because they've not done taxes for years and years and then you got to catch them up i, I yeah. would much rather assuming the big firm is sending you their paying clients <laughs> and not just <laughs> not their unpaid yeah not their unpaid clients. Well, that's why you got to get paid up front guys paid up front. get paid up front i was just listening to a podcast an aicpa podcast featuring jody grunden who is like the chair of the digital cpa conference and has uh, led summit cpa for i think like 18 years and they just got acquired by anders and they're they're doing everything right they're the model as, as digital CPA holds them out to be or AICPA holds them out to be. And what he did is really not that complicated. He just took all of the tax clients and put them on subscription billing up front so they would get paid at least in two chunks before they do the tax return. And then he put all the bookkeeping clients on monthly and then weekly and mm -hmm. created subscription revenue. And because of that, they're, you're, I mean, you're not chasing money. You're right. not, you don't have people that don't pay you. you right. They did other stuff too, but like the two revolutionary things were not that hard to do from a practice management standpoint. I got one more yeah, listener message yeah. and then we'll, uh, we'll close out. How about that? So this is from Jared. Jared said, hello, I'm a relatively new listener to your podcast, but fascinated and excited that people are talking about accounting in this way. Our firm uses QuickBooks Online for a majority of our clients. I have recently tried the right tool and think that it is revolutionary because of how customizable it is. It truly does save time and makes it easier for the user to navigate QuickBooks Online in a way that makes sense for them. I would love if you could all do a short segment about the security behind all of this. 
Can I truly trust this extension, or should our firm wait to see if Intuit adopts or acquires the same sort of format slash idea? Thank you, and I look forward to listening to future episodes. So, David, as the QuickBooks expert on this podcast, uh, can you tell me about the security of browser plugins and then specifically Hector Garcia's right tool? Yeah, so, and I did reply to this email individually. Um, so I've known Hector for whatever, dozen, 15 years, forever. Hector's not a bad actor in this space. Like, so like that's Tr- the- Trusting, uh, trustworthy individual. Right, so he's not a bad actor, trustworthy individual. But in general, like browser plugins are kind of dangerous. That's true, yeah. Very dangerous because basically you're letting that, that tool you're running just read every single piece of data and text that passes through your browser. And they're very, like, I remember PayPal had that one where it watches everything you do so for your shopping carts, right? So it can give you a coupon. I forgot what that thing was called. PayPal bought them. But then the, they're very dangerous to use those with your client data. And so you have to be very selective on what browser plugins you put in because it's reading your data and it's your client's data. So it's and, very dangerous. And it could be sending that data back to a server That's somewhere. That's correct. Yeah. Um, in general, like apps that are on the QuickBooks App Store, Right? To get on the App Store, you have to go through a big security review, and it's very exhaustive to get on there. But in general, this is what I'm going to tell accountants and bookkeepers, and including this, this accountant email, then I don't want to throw people under the bus, but I went to go to their website, of his website, and it was the browser's telling me his website's not secure. It's like accountants and bookkeepers are always so worried about the security of an app they use, or the security of this, or the security of this, when the real vulnerabilities are in-house. Mm-hmm. Right? I, you know how many apps I looked at or helped launch on QuickBooks, thousands. You know how many of them have ever committed a fraud? None. You know how many stories we've covered on this podcast of an accountant or bookkeeper committing fraud at, at firms or in a small business? More than we can even cover on the show. And so it's like, yes, you should be concerned about security. You should be concerned about these apps. Yes, but you got to look internally. That's what I would say for firms. Like, like that's where your real risks are. More. Yeah, good point. Very good point. Well, I think that is it for this show we're out of time yeah i mean and i think i'd like to find out if people want to get a hold of amber yeah we can do that amber thanks so much for joining us if people yeah. want to get a hold of you learn about what you are up to in the world where should they go um our website is conscious.cpa so that's easy enough to find and then i'm hard always to spell, you know, but easy to, <laughs> what was that hard to spell but hard to, to spell find. c-o-n-s-c-i-o-u-s um dot cpa not dot com and um i'm always you know trying to say something different on linkedin because there's too much noise that's boring but um if you want some perspective some commentary and some entertainment you can follow me there great and i look forward to following you uh well i already do so i look forward to more of that thanks for joining us amber uh david great to see you in person as as always and we'll see all of our listeners here next week as a reminder, you can earn CPE for listening to this episode. You already made it to the end, so you might as well get continuing professional education credit for it. Download the free Earmark CPE app, take a quick five-question quiz, and earn your CPE certificate. We get the courses up on the app about a week after each episode publishes in this feed. So if you don't see it right away, just come back to the app uh, next week, and you'll see it there, and you can always take your quiz later and get your CPE. Uh, I do have one re- uh, review from Apple Podcasts. Oh, let's, let's hear it. it. Yeah. So this is from Apple Podcasts. This is a five-star review. It's from uh, Cody Kreiner. Thoughtful conversations from day one. Recently started a job in the outsourced accounting industry, and I started listening to a couple, a couple of weeks ago to, from episode one. So he's listening from episode I, one. All I mean, I gotta, if you go back to episode one and you listen all the way through to... What are we you on? Should, 360? You should get your CPA designation. That's you should be able to earn your 150 hours by listening. Well, because you're going to be listening to 316 <laughs> hours of the podcast. So it might take a while for me to hear. It might take a while for me to hear you read this on a show, but the foresight and the discussions from day one pre 2020 is really cool to look back on now. The podcast has aged well and probably would have been a lot more successful businesses. So little home. There probably would have been a lot more successful businesses. If they'd be tuning in at that time. Love what you guys are doing. Keep it up. So thank you, Cody, for the review. And six months from now, when you hear this episode, you'll uh, hear your review. (laughs) Thanks, everyone who tuned in on the YouTube live. We'll see you next week. Bye, Amber. 
Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Is your New Year's resolution to get your firm better organized? The average firm spends more than 30% of its time sending repetitive requests to clients for information to complete their work. When you don't have what you need, your workflow is blocked and your team is frustrated. Eliminate this frustration with ClientHub. ClientHub is a modern workflow platform with deep roots in the accounting profession. Unlike traditional platforms, ClientHub is built for both your team and your clients. Get faster client responses, build better client relationships, and become a more productive firm. To schedule your demo, go to clienthub.app. That's clienthub.app. Check out Hector Garcia's new app called Write Tool for QuickBooks Online. Instantly increase your productivity with keyboard shortcuts and more. It will save you seconds. The app is free and offers a pro version with additional batching tools. Check them out at writetool.app. That's writetool.app. R-I-G-H-T-T-O-O-L dot app. On the Cloud Accounting Podcast, Blake and I discuss the top accounting, bookkeeping, and tax news stories each week. But for years, we've always felt like there were so many federal tax-related updates, changes, and news that we couldn't possibly ever talk about all of them on our podcast. Not to mention, we probably lacked the knowledge to go into the weeds about tax code and how to fix your clients. The hosts Roger Harris and Annie Schwab together have over 75 years of tax experience helping both individuals and small business owners navigate the complexities of the current tax law. Their expertise has been published in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, The Morning Business Report, Bloomberg Business News, and Accounting Today, and even as it led to offering testimony before Congress on small business tax legislation. Listening to this podcast will save you time from scouring and digesting scores of blog sites or IRS news feeds, while keeping you up to date on the latest federal tax information needed to run your tax practice and best serve your clients. And to save you even more time, CPAs and EAs can earn CPE and CE credits for listening to this podcast. And don't worry, they're both fully NASBA and IRS approved. Be sure to subscribe or follow the Federal Tax Updates podcast in your favorite podcast player today or head to federaltaxupdates.com. That's federaltaxupdates.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.